Hey friends, if this is your first time listening to the Spillway podcast, we encourage you to start at the prologue and work your way up to this sequential episode. If you choose to forge on despite this plea, keep these four things in mind. First, we are a serial. Our work is relational, and the beginning episodes are about building trust, familiarity, and shared frameworks and contexts. And also, white people talking to white people about white people things is a newer concept for a lot of folks. We don't want to push people into the deep end. So please, save yourself the headache. We'll be here when you're caught up. Two, stay in your own lane. We build space to examine, critique, hold, and love white people as we navigate pushback and relapse in the mechanics of white supremacy and white shame within white culture and white culture alone. And that's however much we can in the fluidity of culture. Three, we're in the combined fabric of destiny. Our humanity, as Dr. King defines, is interrelated. Everyone is caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. That's point one. Point 3.5, we are a piece of the broader racial justice movement. We're not trying to divert resources nor claim that we're a one-stop shop. Being in cross-cultural community, educating ourselves, and being in good relation is unquestionably vital to our work. This show is about white people, cleaning and mending our own section of the fabric and the work we need to do before, during, and after showing up in shared spaces. And lastly, one right way. This form of grounding empathy, compassion, patience, and understanding at the core of white culture may or may not work for everyone. That's okay. There are other resources out there. We all share the same goal as beautifully defined by Adrienne Marie Brown to create a world where everyone experiences abundance, access, pleasure, human rights, dignity, freedom, transformative justice, peace. We long for this. We believe it is possible. We're trying this approach, but that doesn't mean that it's the best or right approach for you. If it doesn't apply, let it fly. And with that, for better or worse, we began entering the spillway. In the first episode, I call it a mini teach-in. Oh yeah, let's do it. A mini teach-in. Teach-in. It sounds like teach-in. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. I don't know if that works. It's a mini, it's a mini teach. It's a teach mini. It's a small T. It's a spillway moment. Uh, <laughs> I actually kind of, well, I like that. A spillway like moment. moment? Um, oh, um, a shoot block. Oh, yeah. It's a shoot block. Because that's, that is part of the spillway thing. Yeah. We should do, you already did something like that, right? Like about the spillway. I think you posted something on Instagram. On Instagram. But we need to do um a shoot block about it. Mm-hmm. That way folks know. Like this is a. Like what is a This spillway? is the water. <laughs> Are you being water right now? Yeah. It's very like, like, what's this? I want to say violent, but that's not what I mean. I think going through shoot blocks could be really violent. Yeah. Because you're like 
flushing into a brick wall and you, you have to go another way if you were a human smashing into the brick wall humans should not go through a fucking actual <laughs> literal spillway that'd be awful <laughs> you would die immediately yeah so um, let's call it a, a spillway shoot block a spillway shoot block one shoot block in the spillway mm-hmm. just a shoot block just a shoot block but that's the okay so maybe yeah to explain this when the water is coming off the spillway, mm-hmm. it needs to interact with these chute blocks in order to slow down so that once the water goes into the river or the creek or the whatever kind of water basin is collecting the spill off of the reservoir at the dam, uh, it doesn't hurt the ecology of where it's landing. Oh. That's the whole point of a spillway. Oh, I missed that. Well, it's like two things. So one is to release excess water so that it doesn't breach the dam. So that's what I just thought it was. I didn't realize about the ecology stuff. Oh, well then, so yeah, that's the thing. If you just release the water and -hmm. there's actually some like really intense videos of people like opening a dam or opening a spillway for the first time in like decades. And there's just a whole bunch of like soot and sediment that's just like compacted. And so it actually just looks like a giant like fudge machine. It's just like pushing it out, like all this dirt. And then just starts like spewing. Um, And this water can go insanely far and fast. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you don't slow it down, Mm -hmm. you would just end up like taking a fire hose to a chipmunk, which is not what we want to have happen. No. (laughs) No. And so the spillway slows the water down. Gotcha. So it's less violent. Mm. And that's why I wanted to call it the spillway because it, it has this, this double meaning. One, we want to make sure we're not breaching the dam. Um, but if we are, we've got a place to go. Um, and that's kind of like the harm reduction aspect for ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves um, in this like reservoir, this like pool, uh, this body of water that you know, in this metaphor is white people and whiteness. Um, but then when we release that, when we, when we go downstream, when we connect, because water just doesn't stay in the reservoir forever, um, it connects with the world around us constantly. And so when it's going through the dam and it is released and goes through the spillway, either through excess water or through, um, or through a chute block, then it slows down and becomes more intentional in how it exists in the larger world or within the larger ecology that it then enters into. Uh, And so then that's where it becomes preventative work. When we talk or when we think about healing ourselves as a way to support other people. And so, yeah, that's a really long kind of over-intellectualized way of why I I thought calling this work, the spillway was important because it has this double meaning, um, both for the dam, but then for the ecology and the surrounding area that can be like incredibly impacted where that dam to break or were there not to be a spillway. Uh, <laughs> little, little side wink. Little wink and a nod. Little wink and a nod. All right. <sighs> Hence the spillway. Hence the spillway. Mm-hmm. So in this shoot block... We're going to talk about intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. Let's get it going. Okay.
Intergenerational trauma is a little bit easier to understand, so this definition is going to be a little bit shorter. First, it's important to understand the role of epigenetics, or that the field of epigenetics exists in science. Epigenetics studies how genes express themselves. It's really hard to change DNA, but how our DNA is read or not read by our biochemical process is learned through our inheritable phenotype change. That's a mouthful. So let's unpack that a little bit more. Roughly, we all have a unique biochemical process, which is informed by our parents' diets, pollutants that they lived within, and even major emotional or social events. Our bodies attempt to adapt to change in our surroundings so that we can survive. It's how we evolve and adapt. And our bodies pass that information down to our offspring. Based on the Punnett square, our bodies receive this information from the DNA within the egg and the sperm. Your body can end up reading some DNA like one person and other DNA like another person. Our bodies are amazing. I know I, I had to go through a biological refresher myself just so we could have this conversation. But within the past five years, data that's been published suggests that how our bodies read its DNA is informed by five generations of phenotype changes. That means that the diets, the pollutants, the major social events of your great, great, great grandparents still in 2022 inform how your body reads its DNA. Importantly, how even our great, great, great grandparents were reading their DNA was informed by our great, 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 great grandparents. Maybe let's think about this another way. Maybe we've gotten too abstract. <laughs> when people who menstruate are born, they are born with all of the eggs that they will ever have. So just in that, the egg that was needed to create you before it was fertilized was in your grandmother's body. And this is why we see genetic traits skipping a generation. The egg that turned into you was created in your grandmother. The diets, pollutants, social events of your grandmother explicitly informed the creation of you. And that exact same is true for your grandma. From the oldest boomer to the youngest millennial, that means that the agriculture the pollutants and the social events from as early as 1646 to 1696 are negotiated within our bodies today. Trauma is passed down not just socially, but chemically. How my Irish ancestors navigated the potato famine in the 1850s, or how my Polish ancestors experienced the pollutants of the south of Poland during the Industrial Revolution in the 1870s, or how my American ancestors responded to the enslavement of more than 4 million Africans and their descendants that lives within me today. We study history to know ourselves. And this isn't about excusing behavior or past wrongs. It's about understanding why and how the knot was tied so that we can untangle ourselves from this hurt. Hurts to other people and hurts to ourselves. But really holding intergenerational trauma is something that was passed down to us, something that is within our bodies. And adding an additional layer of perpetration-induced traumatic stress 
I think creates the paradox of being white in America and that we are simultaneously perpetrators and victims of race and racism. And that paradox goes unappreciated so often at a social or mainstream discourse level. And that's where the spillway comes in to create a space where we can openly talk about and share in and grieve and heal and mend white culture so that it is built in compassion, understanding, patience, empathy, and understanding. No more, no less. But to do that work as white people, I can't heal anyone else but myself. And I'm on that path as a white person. And I'd really love for you to join us because my healing as a white person is wrapped up in your healing as a white person too. Because when that other white person knocks out of pocket, that reflects on me and it reflects on them. And we live in a hyper-individualized society that wants to say, oh, no, 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 no. I am not that. I am this. I was actually talking to my mom about this last night, you know, that my grandmother, I was present in my grandmother's body, which is crazy to think about because I never met her. She died long before my mom moved to the States, but in my heart, I like in my body, in my DNA. So not in my heart, cause that's like too abstract, but in my body and in my DNA, I know her. I ha- I carry her struggles and her pain and her joys and all that. It's just so crazy to think about how you can have never met someone, you never knew someone, and then, but you are, they are such a huge part of who you are as a person. And in terms of, you know, what the spillway is about, it's thinking about how they handled, you know, that, that side of the family, Irish and English how they handled all that stuff, pain and societal pressures and trying to fit into whatever box they had to and never, you know, stiff upper lip is a thing. So never, never having to deal with that. And then watching my mom have to deal with that. And then watching me have to deal with that is, you know, that pain has never, never been dealt with. And by dealt with, I mean, I don't mean that sounds very harsh and dismissive to the pain. What I mean by dealt with is held compassionately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that, that idea that you talk about is just crazy to me that we were all present within our grandmother's bodies. Yeah. I never understood it until, yeah, that like visceral kind of connection mm-hmm. of feeling it in your body of like, oh, I was in my grandmother's body. Mm-hmm. Literally, um, the DNA that has made me. And so when like thinking about my parents talking about race and racism is from this different time, like that different time lives in us. Mm-hmm. And so while we're trying to heal our hurts, we're also trying to heal like our ancestral hurts. Mm-hmm. And so it feels much larger, but in some ways it feels more manageable of like, oh, wow, let me just actually learn my family history. Mm. And let me see what those hurts are rather than just kind of like willy nilly going out in the world and being like, I'm hurt because of intergenerational (laughs) trauma. I'm a victim. Oh, you mean that doesn't work? (laughs) No. Oh. It's what is your specific family's history? Right. What did your family go through rather than just like flinging all the spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks? That's really interesting. (laughs) Is that an analogy? 
Is that like, oh, you have to throw something on the wall to see if it sticks. What is that? Paint? It might as well be spaghetti. I think um, I have like 0.5% Italian something somewhere. So it's my. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, gets, it gets mixed in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, it's a super overwhelming thought. Mm, how so? Up until very recently, I've always just assumed that I was dealing with patterns of behavior that were passed down Mm. and instead of like it's actually in the makeup of my body so I was always like well once I start meditating or whatever I'll (laughs) fix it but that's that's not how that goes to so to me it makes it feel really big and uh out of reach I feel like it would just be more liberating that's kind of how I experience it of like Mm -hmm. oh these aren't my patterns Mm-hmm. these are patterns that were given to me and so sometimes when things happen I'm like oh all right grandma like <laughs> okay yes like let's stop that let's stop yeah. trying to blame other people mm. when they're late <laughs> right because like punctuality is like a thing right not in my world but I, I see it in other people's world. right <laughs> But it like shows, like I was like, even in our meeting today, like showing up five minutes late, I was like, oh my God, I can't be late. I can't be late. I can't be late. But it's also Jenny. Like Jenny knows that like, I'm just going to show up when I need to show up. But then there was this other thing of like, oh, I learned punctuality somewhere. Mm, I see. Yeah. No, for me, it still feels (laughs) really, (laughs) really overwhelming. But it's also makes me really sad, Mm. which sounds like oh you poor thing but no like just thinking of like if we didn't have that I might as a person who menstruates and as a person who has a uterus that could carry another human being that's in turn carrying another human being Mm -hmm. you know I could change that narrative Mm -hmm. but I am too frightened and sad to do that also we've talked about this I don't my life is such that I don't want to, you know, bring a child into the world. It's just not separate from all that. But like what little free time I have, I like it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, it just makes me sad, which is navel gazing. I realize, but I also just, you know, I was just like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> well, pomp. I think if we can acknowledge where things come from. hmm. I think it feels a little bit easier, but yeah, I do understand the, the like pull towards it feeling really overwhelming, mm. not knowing who, what, where, when, why, and how sometimes of how we act mm-hmm. because the other piece too, is if we leave them unchecked, um, we just kind of disassociate from our own personal experience and we just call it like a personality trait. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more that we invest in our own education of ourselves, mm-hmm. I just feel like that will change and it does change how future generations understand themselves and access it. Like what your grandparents were doing impacts you, but also what you do impacts you too. That's true. Yeah. And so if we were to have kids, mm-hmm. our grandkids mm-hmm. would then look back to us and be like, what the fuck were they doing? <laughs> right? right. Like and, and in some ways, like that's what we're doing with our grandparents right now. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so we have agency, you know, as much as like agent agency is like a, a choice or an, an illusion under capitalism, but our individual responses to each other would be held in question by our own grandkids. 
Mm-hmm. Also, I'm perfect. So <laughs> I don't want any little grandbabies being like, what are you doing, grandma? <laughs> grandma. Grandma. There's Grandma Skinner. Right. Grandma Skinner and her Mm-mm. insert personality trait here. Mm-hmm. Right. Her inability to let other people talk in a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Would you like to join this? Do you have something to share? Ooh. Ooh. Like, I think the goal of the spillway is super lofty, which is why I love it. Um, and I think it's important. But it can also, for me, feel like, like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is so much larger than I know what to do with. There's a quote that's been floating around the internet that I've seen. And I don't know who it is and I'll probably butcher it because that's who I am as a person. But essentially it says that you're planting seeds for trees that you will never sit under, essentially. I love that. It's, um, you know, you're planting seeds that, that hopefully when we're gone, people will still be cultivating these trees and watering them and taking care of them and whatever. We may never see them, but the hope is that by planting the seeds, you know, they'll be there. This reminds me of Amy Hillier's interview because she said, we have to do this for our kids. Oh yeah, that's true. I was like, okay, sure. Like kids. It felt, yeah. Like, well, yeah. Cause we're, we're childrenless folks. (laughs) Yeah. We're not going to have kids. Nope. But if I learn how to metabolize and process racialized conversations mm-hmm. and were I to have kids, mm-hmm. then they would inherently, biologically, chemically mm-hmm. have a better understanding as to how to metabolize racial conversations. And so, yeah, yeah, we're not trying to, we can't actually change all of white culture right. through the spillway within our lifetime. Right, right, right. It's going to be a couple generations. At that least. doesn't mean we shouldn't start. Oh, no, that means we have to start now. Right. So that it's like a few generations out. No, I was just sorry. I meant that like for myself because myself was like, well, just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Let someone else do right. it. Oh, you're not having kids. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're not passing no. <laughs> no kids. Doesn't matter. Nope. Control, I'll delete. Mm-hmm. Backspace, backspace. Oh, wait, what mm-hmm. about control Z? Undo, 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 undo. <laughs> And also, yes, we were given this like intergenerational trauma and we were also given intergenerational strengths and intergenerational compassion and love and empathy and understanding and patience and support. And like, let's just not lose sight that we were given so much, so, so, so much, uh, each and every one of us in our preciousness. We also have these really great strengths too. So Let's cultivate those too. 